Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews 11. Let's see if I can get my stuff working, maybe. All right. But, uh, who's is this? Somebody misbehaving? Maybe you should. Where's your Bible? Okay, all right. I couldn't see it. I apologize. So, but there, there, there's some pretty strange sports um, in the world today. Uh, but there are few that are stranger than the Finnish from Finland uh, sport of wife carrying. Has anybody ever seen wife carrying sport before? I actually knew some people that actually participated in wife carrying. Wife carrying. You carry your wife. In this sport, a man hoists his uh, female partner, usually, usually his wife, doesn't have to be your wife, over his shoulders and then attempts to run through an obstacle course. There are several ways the man can carry his wife. The traditional way is a piggyback carry. Um, that's kind of like the old one. Uh, a, a fireman's carry in which the man just kind of holds you know, the wife over the shoulder. Or the Estonian carry, which is the more common use now, in which the wife hangs upside down off the man's back with her legs around his shoulders and like in front of his face. That's kind of the common one now. Uh, the size of this contest gets pretty strange pretty quickly uh, as a woman with a, a man with a woman hanging off his back tries to climb over fences, swim through pools, speed around corners. This is uh, a video I want you guys to watch of one of these. So again, you have to watch a very tiny screen. I apologize. This is the favorites right here. They've won three in a row. I mean, the wife is on, on his back right there. There, there we go. Right by his butt. Hope he doesn't fart. That's all I got to think. Everybody else, like, goes slowly over that. And he's just like, nothing. One minute, 0 0.22 seconds to go to the 2,500-meter race. That's, that's pretty impressive for wife carrying. Yeah. Well, you probably don't want to be not fit for this competition. That's what, that's what, I remember reading right, I read, how many meters, how many meters sorry, 250, 250 meters, oh, okay. my apologies, two, five, zero, they booked it, it's all downhill, gravity helped them, um, no, 250 meters, um, it's, it's a weird looking sight to see someone do this Finnish wife carrying, um, seven countries participate, uh, I'm trying to remember how many couples from each country, um, kind of participate in this every year. But it's you know it's 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 bizarre to see these men race while bearing the burden of their wives on their back. But wife carrying contests are bizarre because husbands are bearing such an unwieldy burden while they're running because it's typically you don't have someone hanging off the back of you when you're running. That's just not a natural thing we do. But it just doesn't make sense to run a race with something someone hanging off of your back. If you wanted to to run a regular race um, and you wanted to win, you probably wouldn't have. Someone on your back, typically. Instead, you would get rid of that burden. But most of us go through our day, every lives, with another person hanging 
offer backs, right? We, I mean, we don't do that. But it'd be crazy to kind of walk through life or go through life with someone like just giving you a piggyback ride at all times. But we do go through our lives with burdens. That's kind of what we just, we like to, for whatever reason. We have these burdens and we like to um, go through life carrying those for some reason. All of us have burdens. Some of the biggest burdens we carry are caused by the questions that plague us and keep us from having any peace. I saw a friend of mine, she posted this picture the day online and had like this person pushing a wheelbarrow that was empty and like it was a weird cartoonish figure where like the, the neck was kind of strained backwards and a huge head. I'm sorry, no. It's pushing a wheelbarrow on the back but there's like a wagon behind and then like the head filled the wagon and in a sense I'm like, the, the biggest burdens we carry are those that are in our head kind of a thing. That's we, we carry those things internally a lot of times. And questions like, do I live up to God's expectations? Are people who rebel against God living life have the desire and getting away with it? You know, this, I'm doing the best I can. I'm living like God wants me to live. And God's not, you know, I'm getting bad things happen to me. I see these people who are living in sin, doing what they want, and they're just living like nothing is happening to them. That's not fair. Am I alone because God's presence doesn't really make a difference in my life? In my life, Why do I feel like God is just always on my case, why he's always on my back? We may not recognize it, but those questions do weigh us down. They haunt us, they keep us from living the life that God wants us, I think, to truly live. And sometimes we even feel like God is maybe the one who's burdening us and kind of holding us back. While we may not realize it, we often start to ask these these burdensome questions about whether God is careless or he's clueless or useless or speechless because we have faulty ideas and, and wrong assumptions about who God is. So we need to shed these burdens so that we can move into the life that God wants us to live. And as we experience four statements from Scripture that tell us what God is not, so in the four-week series, we'll be able to answer some of our big questions about God. Is questions like, is God ashamed? Is God clueless? Is God useless? And is God speechless? We begin today with the question of whether God is ashamed of us. As we discover one thing, God is not. We'll get a clear answer to that question that will free us from one of the biggest burdens in our lives. So we're going to get started. You guys should be in Hebrews already. The book of Hebrews reads pretty much like a sermon. And it kind of unfolds around the theme of how Jesus is our high priest. It's a book, it's, what is the name of the book? So who was it written to? There you go, Hebrew people. So it's a Jewish person. We don't know the author. Authors are known. Some speculate Paul. We don't know. Um, it was a book written by a Jewish person to the Jew, a Jewish audience. Because a lot of what they deal with is like the Jewish side of the faith, the priests, the sacrifice, the sacrificial system, all those kinds of things. And so this, this concept of Jesus being the high priest is would have been a new concept, something they've never heard for these Jewish listeners. You know, for thousands of years, right, they, they had a system where one high priest would enter into God's presence and ask for forgiveness for the sins, right? This was the Day of Atonement. One high priest, once a year, would go do that. And so now you have the author of Hebrews, whoever this person was, wanted to help them see how Jesus allows you and I to come into God's presence and relate to God in an intimate, not romantic relationship with Him. Sorry, that was, did y'all hear that on, on Wednesday night? He kept saying romantic relationship. I'm like, that's weird, dude. Um, he wants an intimate relationship, not romantic, because that's, that's just weird. Yeah, it's whatever. Um, this, is re- this is revolutionary to me. This is not 
Again, when they would have the sacrifice system was set up, the high priest would make the atoning sacrifice and do all these things. It was not a personal kind of a relationship that we think of. And so it was completely mind-blowing to the Jewish people and Catholics. Um, this was, so as we read this, try to put yourselves into their shoes. They, they and we no longer need someone to talk to God for us. So in chapter 11, the sermon takes a long kind of little side trail here, and it focuses on what faith looks like in light of this connection with God uh, that Jesus now makes possible for us. So this chapter is just full of pictures of faith from Old Testament characters. Like if you want a who's who, this is going to be the list. In the midst of this listing of what we would call the Faith Hall of Fame, if you want, we find an incredible statement of something that God is not. So Hebrews 11, starting in verse 13. These all died in faith, not having received the things promised. So these things, God had promised these things to people, and they all died without having seen the promises of God. We were like, oh, that's not good. But having seen them and greeted them from afar, and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth, for people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. If they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, they would have had the opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country that is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. So in your small group, <coughs> I want you guys to answer that question up on the screen back there. What kind of people was the author of Hebrews talking about in our passage, and how are those people like you and I? What kind of people was the author talking about, and how are they like... All right, let's come back. So, Hebrews 11 recalls the stories of some of the greatest heroes of the faith, right? But amidst the tales of Noah and Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Joseph and all those other people, there's this brief little quick aside that describes some of the common traits that are shared by all these people. So in our passage today, we see that one of the common traits these people shared was suffering. Like, there was a lot of suffering that these people went through. Like I said, they were promised things from God. They did not receive everything that God had promised during their lifetimes. It says that they fell asleep, they died before they saw these fulfillments come true. They never had a true homeland, right? They didn't quite, Abraham didn't quite make it there. Isaac didn't make it to the promised land. Because the promised land was either a future reality or is in process for them. And because they felt like aliens and strangers, they kind of longed for heaven is what it says. This is a better country that is a heavenly one. Their faith led them to live in a reality beyond themselves. And this description of faith, I think, is compelling and it makes for a great lesson. But think about what these heroes of our faith must have felt like during their stories as they lived. God promised them great things. But they never saw these promises fully come to fruition. Would that make like anybody else kind of angry or upset or disappointed or anything? It's okay to be human and have those human emotions. Like, God, you promised me all these things. Where is it? Again, for, for example, God told Abraham he would be the father of a great nation. And that, that doesn't mean like just, you know, that means a lot of people, right? It said that the, the grains of sand on the seashores will not count how many descendants he has. 
a great nation. Then Abraham had to wait until he was 100 years old to have his first kid. I would hate to have my first child at 100. Like, this doesn't sound like fun at all. God gave Joseph dreams of how he would rule over his family. And then Joseph spent more than a decade in slavery and then in jail, right? And now receiving the things promised when they would have liked to have, to have had them, they had to spend many years in the pain of waiting and wondering if God really meant what he said. And in this pain, these people probably had questions. We certainly, I certainly would have. In their hardest moments, they probably wondered whether God really cared about them at all. Or maybe he'd forgotten them. Alone in the jail cell or in the dark of the night in the hidden places of their hearts. And when, even when they trusted God's heart, they might have wondered God was too busy or too preoccupied and, and had become careless about fulfilling the promise that he had made with them. In other words, they probably asked, is God ashamed of me? God, you had this big promise, you had these big plans. Now I don't see none of it. God, are you ashamed of who I am and what I've done that you have withheld these promises? God, are you ashamed of the person I've become? I think this question could resonate in our hearts as well. We've, we've all heard the sermons about God. Sometimes we, our circumstances lead us to wonder if God really and truly cares about us. We may not be in a jail cell. Your bedroom is not a jail cell. You may think it is at times. It's not. We may not be actively waiting for a, a baby to be born at the ripe old age of 100. But we have questions that whisper in our hearts. And even the moments that when we believe that God does care, the state of our world just sucks. And the state of our lives make us wonder if God has carelessly forgotten us or has overlooked us amid everything else he's doing. I mean, he's God. He's kind of got his plateful. Does he even think about me? This emotional question of whether God is... is Careless kind of rattles around in all of our hearts, all of our souls. It makes us wonder if God couldn't care less about us or if he's even ashamed of us. So in your group, I want you to answer this next question. Why is it important that God is not ashamed to be called our God? We see that in our, in our passage, the last verse. Why is it important that God is not ashamed to be called our God? What does this phrase mean? I'll give you guys a few minutes. All right, so in the face of this huge question, the author of Hebrews makes a stunning statement, one that, that applied to the heroes of the faith in Hebrews 11, and that applies just as much to you and I as well. These people were by no means perfect, just like you and I aren't perfect, but they were trying to live by faith and follow God. And of these imperfect but sincere people, the writer of Hebrews said, Therefore God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared the city for them. The lesson that the author of Hebrews takes from the stories of these imperfect but sincere heroes of faith is, to use his words, that God is not ashamed to be called our God. Every sports team has fans, right? But in some cases, these fans take their fanaticism like to the extreme. Uh, when this happens, fans become hooligans. That's a fun word to say. Say it with me. Hooligans. That's just a really fun word. I don't know. I like it. Hooligans. They become so involved in the fate of their teams 
They'll start fights with opposing fans or start riots when their team loses and just all kinds of chaos, or even when it wins. Just look at the fans of every sports team in Philly. But while these hooligans think that they're supporting their team, well, they don't understand that the rest of the team's fans are kind of actually ashamed of those people. All the hooligans are out front cheering and fighting and riding. The rest of the team's fan base is slowly kind of backing away, distancing themselves from them because they're ashamed of their team as associated with these kinds of people. Well, you and, I, you and I may not be hooligans. I don't know. Cooper, you might be hooligan. I don't know. We all have the feeling of, of being ashamed of someone or having someone be ashamed of us. Maybe you feel your parents shaking their heads when they see your grades or your musical abilities or lack thereof or the way you perform on a sports field or whatever. Maybe you feel friends back away when you wear the wrong clothes or you're having a bad hair day or when they see you associating with the wrong people or whenever... You're singing in church and you come in like two beats too early and then you like to make a fool of yourself, right? Anybody ever done that before? Is it just me? Yeah, it happens. It's, it's the best. Maybe you feel your teachers look down on you because you're struggling in the class. I, you know, I have no idea. But whatever the situation, we all know that what it's like to feel someone is ashamed of you. So we're going to spend quite a bit of time actually looking at uh, a few different... But it's hard, it's hard to verbalize, but many of us wonder if God is ashamed of us. We don't feel good enough or smart enough or holy enough or helpful enough to be worth, worthy of God. And so we feel like God is ashamed of us. And it's this nagging feeling that makes us wonder if God is careless in his relationship with us because of his shame on us. But there is hope, right? We can look at our passage in Hebrews and see that God does care for us deeply which should be some kind of good news, smile on your face, something for you tonight. That's, was that a smile? What was that? No, I don't know what that was. You should be happy, right? Maybe, no, nobody, okay. But he cares deeply for us, and he's not ashamed at our attempts of faith. We know that God cares about us, that he will not forget or overlook us, because God is not ashamed to be called our God. He claims us gladly as his people. And when we look at ourselves honestly, we see many reasons that God probably could be ashamed of us. We're proud like Joseph was. We're deceitful like Abraham was. We're manipulative like, like Jacob was. We have fits of rage as Moses did. We're sinful. We're selfish. We're pretty crappy people. We give up at tough times. We can be hooligans. When we look at ourselves honestly, we see we sometimes become ashamed of ourselves and wonder how God could ever care about us. Even those of us who are sincere about following God, we are imperfect. But the God who sees every, sees every bit of sin, every bit of selfishness in us, still claims us. It's kind of nice. The God who sees us give up when things get hard is preparing a homeland for us so that we don't have to be aliens or strangers anymore. Our Creator claims us. God is not ashamed to be called our God. Not only is God not ashamed to be called our God, He reaches out to us to claim us so that we can then be His children. Because not everybody in this world is a child of God. You know this? You understand this? Not everyone who's created in this world is a child of God. Those who have been redeemed by God are children of God. That's what the cross is all about. Jesus died a shameful death to provide a way for us to have a relationship with God 
in which shame has no say and no sway. And the God who is unashamed became shamed so that we no longer live subject to shame. He conquered that for us. And this truth, it has huge implications in our lives. No longer do we have to live under shame from ourselves or anybody else. God is not a God who shames us for what we've done or thought and said, it hold over your head like, hey, remember when you screwed up back over here? Yeah, I remember that. Ooh, that was pretty bad. He doesn't do that. Our faith in God tells us that God has faith in us. He hasn't given up on us or turned his back on us or forgotten us. Instead, he calls us into great things like what the people in this chapter did, believing that we can be heroes of faith just like they were. God is not embarrassed by you. and God is not ashamed to be called your father. A fourth grader, Kennedy Corpus, she wanted to skip school, but she had a good reason to skip. She wanted to see um, President Barack Obama speak. And during the town hall meeting, Kennedy's father stood up to ask a question. And during the question, he mentioned that his daughter had skipped school to come to this event. Obama's response was to ask, do you need me to write you a note for school? Right, like a, like a doctor's note. Observers laughed, but the president, of course, was, was serious. So he tore a corner off of one of his sheets of notes, and he wrote, To Kennedy's teacher, please excuse Kennedy's absence. She's with me. After signing the note, the president stepped off the stage to hand the note to a shocked fourth-grade girl. Kennedy's summation of the event was pretty simple. It was like the best thing ever, is what she said. Putting your political differences, assumptions, whatever aside, imagine what this girl felt like to go see the president of the United States and to get a note from the President of the United States that says, she's with me. It's kind of cool, right? That's kind of a big deal. I don't care what you think about Obama. doesn't matter. That's kind of a cool situation to be a part of. If you've ever felt like you couldn't live up to God's expectations, you need to hear God speaking to you today and saying, she's with me. He's with me. He's not ashamed. He has not forgotten us. He's not embarrassed by us. He does not... Leave us. God claims us as his children because God is unashamed to be called our God. I don't know if I can say that enough tonight for you to understand it. Some of you have listened to this entire lesson and in the back of your mind, there's still that small voice saying, no, not, not you. Everyone else, God's unashamed of them, but you, you're different. God is embarrassed by you. He's just, he doesn't even like you. But here's the tough truth. I want you to understand this. You are not that special. You're not that special. The people in the Hall of Faith in the book of Hebrews were not better than you or I. But also no worse. Okay, We're all candidates to God's shame, but he made way for everyone to be claimed by him. Henry Nguyen, he once said there were three lies of identity. I want you guys to get this. He says, I am what I have. These are the lies. Remember, lies of identity. I am what I have, I am what I do, I am what other people say or think about me. Those are three lies of identity. But because God loves us, we can counter those three lies with three truths. God has given me everything I have. I can only do anything because of Jesus. And I am what God says about me. And God says he is not ashamed of you. No matter your circumstances, God is not ashamed of you. No matter your success, God is not ashamed of you. No matter your struggles, God is not ashamed of you. 
Your Creator claims you. You're loved by the God who, by definition, is love. You are remembered. You're not forgotten. God chooses to identify with you. And God is not ashamed to be called your God. I'm going to pray, and then we'll have you guys kind of close uh, your time in prayer like we normally do. Let's pray. God, we just um, thank you that you're not ashamed of us, that you call us your child, that you sought us and reached out to us. And we thank you for that. May we truly understand the fact that you're not ashamed of us and you, you do love us. Despite the struggles and the things that we do in life, you're still not ashamed of me. Um, we just put that in and own that as our identity is, is found in you and not anything else this world tries to tell us. As these kids go this week, may they, um, when, when things happen and things come up in this week, uh, the bad times, the hard times, whatever it may be, that they, they see that, that you're not ashamed of them and they are yours and that um, you call them to do great things. Okay, again, thank you for this time tonight. In my pray. Amen.